Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. My guest today is Doctor of Psychology and Licensed Clinical Social Worker Vanessa Mead. Vanessa is an assistant professor and licensed psychologist in the School of Social Work at the University of Alaska, Anchorage. She is a U.S. Army Gulf War veteran and former Alaska State Trooper. The focus of her doctoral studies in psychology was mindfulness-based practices with women veterans. She facilitates mindfulness-based retreats and programs and is a qualified teacher of Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, or MBSR, and a certified mindfulness teacher through the Engaged Mindfulness Institute. She is also a facilitator for Veterans Path, our nonprofit for veterans. We're going to learn a lot more about Vanessa, her time in the military, her time as an Alaskan State Trooper, and what she's doing now with mindfulness-based stress reduction, all on this episode of the Veterans Path podcast. Welcome to the show, Vanessa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for being here with us today. Uh, very much looking forward to talking with you about your background and getting to know you a lot better. Thank you. I'm looking forward to that too with you as well. Okay, that said, before we get into our questions, I'm starting every show by letting our listeners know what we do at Veterans Path and why we're doing this show. So Veterans Path, we introduce veterans to meditation and mindfulness, typically in outdoor settings, so they can rediscover peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. That's where the word PATH, P-A-T-H, Peace, Acceptance, Transformation, and Honor in our name comes from. And the point of this podcast is to make people more aware of what we do to increase support and attendance at our retreats while simultaneously reducing the stigma around seeking mental health support. Listeners can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Okay. That all said, we'll get into the questions. I try to break the show into two segments when possible. The first being what you did in your initial career, or in your case, careers. And then we pause for a brief break for a plug from our sponsors, and then we'll get into what we're doing now. So I've covered your bio briefly before I pre-recorded it, but I have a bunch of questions. And I'll start with a softball, Alaska. I'm not knocking Alaska because I absolutely (laughs) love it. But what took you to Alaska? Oh, I could spend this whole time talking just about Alaska, so you got to watch that. Um, <laughs> no, uh, I love Alaska. Um, so I had a connection to Alaska as a kid. Um, a guy from my hometown in Iowa homesteaded up here, and he's pretty well known up here. His name is Dick Prenicky. And he used to come back and show me and my brother's um, 8 millimeter film and photos. He, uh, he actually helped Lake Clark become a national park up here. Uh, through his photography and stuff. So I've had this connection since I was a little kid. And then when I was in college, one of my my partner at the time, uh, she had a uh, friend that was getting her MFA at Fairbanks and we came up and visited and I just fell in love with it. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is where I need to be. But my partner at the time did not want to move up here. Um, And uh, so uh, stayed in Illinois. I was living in Illinois at the time. 
And then um, we, I was in graduate school and uh, we broke up. And so um, I had a year left of grad school. And uh, as soon as I graduated, I packed up my truck and I moved up. Um, so that's kind of the story. Um, been up here for over 20 years now. So I love it. Um, I love it's kind of an edgy place to live between the weather. And I, I like to say that it never lets you forget that you're um, it never lets you forget that you're part of nature. Uh, even here, even here in Anchorage, you know, uh, you know, I have black bears in my front yard sometimes and moose and, you know, it's, it's not too separate. Uh, although the joke is in Anchorage or in Alaska, Anchorage is 30 minutes from Alaska. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So you mentioned, uh, never forgetting that you're part in nature or right there in nature. And, and I know I've visited Alaska. I've been there to work in Kodiak and I visited Valdez and driven to Anchorage and, and I know oh, yeah. that even when you have to get in your car and go from let's say from Valdez to Anchorage you have to make sure that you are prepared so you've got your blankets you've got your water you've got any kind of warmies so you're always prepared for the worst conditions yeah and you know that's the thing about um i think you know it, it's one of those places for me it it brings me in a lot alive in a way no other place does um just because of um the vastness of it as well as that kind of um you're you have to you have to pay attention you really have to pay attention because you know to the weather to um, you know, nature around you, you're lower on the food chain up here. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a, and it's a beautiful place and I love the people up here too. And I've had the good fortune of living in lots of different areas in the state. And, um, just, uh, I was a state trooper out in the, um, Southwest Alaska where there's no roads. Um, you can only fly in or get there by boat. And, um, that was really, really wonderful experience to being in, I lived in the, uh, Alaska native village and, uh, covered an area, you know, the size of some States, Yikes. um, by themselves as a state trooper, just as a, as a, uh, you know, person that was, uh, responsible for the law enforcement of like six village areas and, and then, you know, covering for other troopers in other areas at times too. So, yeah, it was awesome too. I had a snow machine and a boat. I had a jet boat and a four wheeler and that's how I got around. And, you know, so it was a lot of, a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun and, and a lot of, you know, a lot of work, a lot of really hard stuff too. Sure. Um, sure. I bet. Know, just uh, because of the isolation. A lot of alone time. I, yeah. I wish there would have been a little more alone time. It was pretty busy. People think you're out in the middle of nowhere that there's not a lot happening, but yeah, there's, there's a lot happening. Um, just in it, it's that way everywhere because just there's so few law enforcement up here. And so you really do everything. We, you know, did everything um, from murder investigations to, um, you know, uh, you know, going into the schools and working with kids. You just you you pretty much do everything uh, when you're out in the outlying areas. So. Okay, Vanessa, you got to forgive me here. I've kind of lost track of the chronology. So, you went to Alaska. You became a state trooper. At, at what point were you in the army? Was that before or after? Yeah. So I uh, went in the army straight out of high school. Um, so that was quite a while ago. I'll just say that. <laughs> and, uh, that was, I actually joined in 88. I was, uh, in the military until 1996. And then I moved up here in 99. Um, uh, and I didn't join the state troopers until, uh, 2004. So, um, there was a gap there. Yeah. I'm, and I, I left the troopers in 2009. 
um, and started working here in Anchorage at that point in time. So, uh, but yeah, my army career, I, I went in straight out of high school. I grew up in Iowa and, um, went in as a military police officer, uh, and then, uh, later went to airborne school. So it was an airborne MP and others deployed over for, uh, the first Gulf War, uh, desert, desert storm in, uh, as part of the 108 MP company out of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Uh, yeah, memories of Fort Benning. Uh, I went through jump school uh, before Naval Special Warfare had their own jump school. I went through Benning, so I've uh, you know stood on the cables and hit the whole pole man and, yes. and beat my boots and and done all that fun shenanigans at Benning. <laughs> yeah, I went I went to school with a bunch of I went to airborne school with a bunch of with people that were Navy uh, in the Navy and also uh, uh, Rangers and SF guys too. So yeah. Yeah, in all honesty, I mean, I think the hardest part for me uh, to become a Navy SEAL was going through Benning and having to deal with the Army. It's a, it's a completely different animal there. Uh, that's hilarious. I mean, uh, I love you guys, but you are a different breed. <laughs> <laughs> so, Vanessa, you mentioned coming into the Army in 88 and leaving in 96. Uh-huh. You were in the Gulf War. Where were you for that, and what did you do? Right. So um, as an MP, the unit that I was um, assigned to, we were uh, we did uh, we detained and transported prisoners of war, Iraqi prisoners of war. So uh, we were set up uh, kind of along the Iraq um, uh, Saudi Arabia line for until the ground war started. And then we moved in and started transporting. Uh, we had set up a POW camp near Rafa, uh, Saudi Arabia. Sure. And sure. it's right there on the border of Iraq. And, and so um went and transported uh, POWs from up in Iraq, back there, back and forth for several weeks um, straight, just going back and forth and transporting people. That was our position, what we did. Okay, so you mentioned getting out in 96, and you didn't start being a state trooper until until, uh, 2004. So what did you do in between Mm -hmm. um, being an Army MP to being... Uh um, a state trooper in Alaska. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, uh, I was active duty for, um, almost four years. And then I went into, um, the national guard in Illinois and I went and got my bachelor's in social work, um, straight, uh, straight out of the army. So I got out of the army, joined the guard, Illinois paid hundred percent tuition at the time. I don't know if they still do. So, um, I didn't, I didn't have much of a GI bill. I was one of those, no, I want to be an MP. And you know how they give you enlistment bonuses based on the, yeah. And so I was stubborn and didn't get a lot of money for college, <laughs> but, uh, so I needed that hundred percent tuition after you served a year in the guard there. If you weren't a, if you weren't a resident. That's so, a deal. yeah. So I went to Western Illinois university and got my bachelor's. And then I worked for a couple years there in Illinois in um, domestic violence programs. I, I worked with kids, locked out runaway teenagers, um, did groups with people that were arrested for domestic violence, working with them on, you know, um, developing different ways to deal with conflict and um, that sort of thing. And then I went back and got my master's at Aurora University outside of Chicago and uh Graduated with that and then moved up here to Alaska. Worked in community mental health up here for many years. Um, did emergency on-call services. Worked in schools as a clinician. Working with kids that were in danger of hospitalization or were coming out of hospitalization to help them stabilize in the community. Um, a lot Emergency on-call, which was going to jails and hospitals to work with uh, people that were in danger of hurting themselves or others to determine if they needed to go to the hospital. Right. 
right. that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, doing child and family therapy as well. So that was kind of my, um, my, my job or jobs until I, uh, sorry about that. That's okay. Um, until I, uh, joined the state troopers gotcha. So gotcha. in 2004. Okay. Yeah. So, so you go from being an army MP to being a youth counselor and being a clinician. Uh, how did that career change happen exactly? Well, it's kind of funny. You know how things just kind of unfold. You don't really plan them. That's pretty much how that happened. <laughs> right. Um, so I was uh, I was getting my um, bachelor's in social work, and they wanted the college wanted me to do a whole another year of uh, basically practicum and internship um, for the law enforcement. I was had a major in social work, a double major in social work and law enforcement, justice and administration, and I didn't really feel like since I had been an MP for four years that I needed to do a practicum or internship. So I dropped I bet, I bet. that to my minor and kept social work as a major. And then kind of ended up on the social work path, um, which then later uh, pretty much led me back to um, doing the state trooper thing. There was after 9-11 happened, I had a real sense of like, and you know this as well as I do, just that sense of, um, and you know, any veteran I think has a sense of duty uh, beyond self. Um, right, right. That's, that's, you know, that's so crucial to our training, but also, you know, the reasons why we went in the military or what developed as a result of going in the military. And so I really just, after 9-11 happened, I had this, like, it was actually overwhelming sense of, like, I have to do something, but I, I wasn't going to go back into the military. <laughs> and so I, um, I started exploring. And I always kind of wondered what would have happened if I would have went into law enforcement. Uh, instead of social work too. And so those two things kind of combined uh, and I applied for the state troopers and was accepted and, and did that for five years. So it was really nine eleven happened and it kicked off. Yeah. So I would imagine being a, an MP and then eventually becoming a state trooper after several years, that there's parallels between your service in the army and your service as a state trooper. Um, did having served mm -hmm. in the army first give you an advantage as a trooper, both in going through training and then later in being on yeah. force? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it did. Um, it's there, you know, uh, the state troopers, at least up here, are you go to an academy, it's like going to basic training. You know, um, some academies, people live uh, at home and go to the academy, but for the state troopers up here in Alaska, you actually go to it, you go away to go to an academy. So it's similar to, you know, kind of going, being shipped off to basic training and, you know, doing the whole, doing the whole thing again, as far as that goes. So yeah, there's a lot around that as far as, you know, it felt. Um, one of the interesting things was, I remember I was in basic training at, in the army. I always, that we had a few people that were a little bit older <laughs> in our group and they were always, you know, a little bit slower, a little bit. And I was like, man, what's going on with them? And then, you know, I was 34 when I went through the Trooper Academy. I was like, dang, this hurts now. Yeah, a decade makes a difference. <laughs> Doing all of these, you know, push-ups, sit-ups, different, different thing. But, yeah, I mean, as far as I think the, I think the, the thing, and I just, you know, the, the people I worked with, my colleagues in the state troopers, everybody just had a – that was kind of the other place where I found that commitment to something beyond yourself because you really are it in so many situations, you know, and – um, you know, and just uh, that connection to the community in that kind of way where you're, 
you know, um, you feel like that that service that you're really giving giving back and giving to something that's, like I said, larger than you. And I think that's the real parallel that uh, between law enforcement and uh, the military. You know, some of the training, of course, you know, weapons training and all that kind of stuff sure. is similar yeah. to. And um, but I always, um, you know, as a state trooper, I was also a licensed clinical social worker. And so I always jokingly referred to it as a social work with a gun. Um, <laughs> I like that. Because it's good. kind of, I mean, that's the, that's really the philosophy I took. Um, and just really uh, working with people from where they were at and, you know, developing relationships and rapport with people because, um, you know, uh, kind of throwing around, around the power and stuff, and particularly in Alaska Native villages where there's, you know, they've had, you know, horrible historical trauma related to those kinds of things. Um, was something that I was really cognizant of and didn't want to perpetuate. So, um, you know, that was one of the things I really worked with. So in your time in the service, both in the Army and again as a trooper, what were some of the obstacles you overcame or adversity that you dealt with? Yeah, I think probably you know, um, in the military, I can just start there because that was my first thing out of, you know, high school. Um, you know, I was... Uh, it was not okay to be uh, LGBTQ plus in the military um, mm-hmm, right. at that point in time. Um, and so I think that was, I came out in the military. And when I say that, people are like, oh, you came out to, I, I came out to myself in the military. Oh, yeah. Uh, wow. And so that was, that was uh, one of the, you know, kind of major, major themes of it was after I got back from Desert Storm. Um, and so that was something that was, you know, because they were still uh, kind of doing the, um, what were referred to as witch hunts. That's what we call them, you know, where they would go into bars and raid bars. You know, you get an article 15 if you were caught in a gay bar, you know, wow. all of those kinds of things. And so that was a piece um, that was uh, some obstacles definitely that um, working with as far as being in the army, um, you know, and then, uh, you know, dealing with, you know, what you see in a worse time situation too. Um, and what you think uh, you know, you're trained to what to what war will be, and then you actually, you know, see it and are a part of it, and it's a very different experience. So I think that was also something, you know, working with what you what you believe and what actually happens um, as far as war goes. Uh, with the state troopers, um, I think you know, uh, similarly, it's um, you know, being uh, kind of being the stuff that you see because uh, you see the you know, kind of the worst of people. Um, in those situations or people at their worst, I wouldn't say the worst of people. I'd actually say people at their worst. Um, and so you're, you know, continually dealing with, um, you know, all of, you know, nobody calls us, the police and goes, Hey, I'm having a great day. Come by and see me. You know, I mean, it just doesn't happen. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I think that was, you know, continually having, and then just because of the small force that we have up here, as far as the state troopers, uh, just the amount of stuff that you do deal with, the range of stuff was just mind boggling at times. You know, you're going from a situation where, you know, you, like I said, you might be at a school doing a presentation and you have to run and deal with a domestic violence situation or, you know, a situation with a gun or, you know, I mean, any number of things as well as, you know, we do, uh, we did um, like particularly out in more rural places or more, more remote um, wildlife enforcement too. So you kind of did uh, a lot of different things all at the same time. So just being able to, um, you know, I think overcoming, I think flexibility, and that's one thing the military really taught me was to really, you know, have the saying adapt and overcome, right? And right, right. Um, being able to do that. But I think what's different 
is, you know, this adapt and overcome thing, a lot of times in the military requires you to shut down some things or some aspects of how you are, or who you are, um, just to get the job done or to do things. And so then those things start coming up in other ways that aren't always helpful. And so being able to, and that's where, you know, I really came to practice after I left the state troopers, um, um, meditation and mindfulness practice, um, on a, I kind of read about it for years and done it a little bit, but really dived into practice after that because of the things that uh, were coming up for me, um, from both the military and, you know, being a state trooper that I was just like, even trained as a therapist, I'm like, this isn't just a mental thing. There's, you know, there's a, a somatic aspect of this that uh, I wasn't trained in at that point mm-hmm. uh, of just how the body remembers things too. And, you know, um, you know, I also experienced a, a sexual assault in the military and that was definitely a big, um, a big, ch- you know, life change, life changing experience um, as far as trust, trust in your, uh, you know, the people you work with, because it was somebody that I worked with and, um, you know, being able to, um, you know, meet, uh, meet that in a way that wasn't, you know, blaming myself because here I was, I was an MP, I should have been able to defend myself, you know, all of those kinds of things that come up um, whenever you're, you, you experience something like that. So that was another thing that, but I really didn't deal with that for many years. And so that's where uh, meditation and mindfulness practices really helped me to be able to meet those kinds of things in a different way where I was actually meeting them instead of trying to put them into little boxes and put them away. Um, which wasn't helpful. <laughs> well, I, th- I think at times it can be helpful um, in the military, but then I think ultimately, long term, you're going to have to deal with those things. I mean, you mentioned, you know, the body remembers things, and I've read, you know, the body keeps the score. Ultimately, you're going to have to deal with those things. And I uh, interviewed Monica Meeks last week, and and she right. mentioned um, kind of having an out of body experience almost, uh, and then not wanting to admit to what had happened. Um, and then, and then not re-victimizing the victim. Kind of, uh, you sound like you kind of almost re-victimized yourself in, in blaming yourself uh, for what had gone happened. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I think there's a couple of things there. The the other piece that I want to make sure that we touch on is uh, sexual assault in the military. We talk about that often it's men on women. But there are other times when it is women on men, and then there's other times when it's gender on the same gender on the same mm-hmm. gender. Um, so I just want people to understand that there are multiple forms of sexual assault within the military. That all said, the military, I believe, is doing a much better job than it did um, back in the time from 88 to 96 in trying to minimize or stop sexual assault. And then, and then furthermore, I think we're doing a much better job at offering services to victims and making uh, military personnel aware of those services before they become a victim. So they they understand the process, they understand what's available to them. So it's certainly not perfect, not anywhere close to perfect, but we're much better than we were. Yeah, I think it's gotten better, um, but it's also uh, really interesting to hear the same stories that were happening, you know, from people getting out now then, you know, so it's, and again, it's very command um, based. It depends on, you know, branch of the military, who, who the commanders are as to how seriously or not seriously um, this, you know, it's t- uh, sexual assault is taken in the military or even sexual harassment. So those, yeah, absolutely. And, and yes, men, men experience it too. And it's, it's devastating to whoever experiences it. And the idea is absolutely to try to, 
um, you know, in the military, I think is making changes um, to try to address it in different ways. And it, you know, and until it's not happening anymore, we also still have to have a way for people to be able to heal and, and, you know, work with it. Oh yeah, absolutely. No doubt. I want to get into the next section. I want to get into what you're doing now as a professor and psychologist and, and also your work with mindfulness-based stress reduction and veterans path retreats. But first I want to just stop here for a quick plug from our sponsors. Okay, welcome back. I'm here with Army veteran and former Alaska State Trooper turned psychologist and mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher, Vanessa Mead. Vanessa, so you're a State Trooper in Alaska. You've got a background in being a clinician and a counselor. Can you describe to me how and why that career trajectory morphed into the one that you are on now? Yeah, um, so I ended up... um, leaving the state troopers, I, my goal was to kind of do that for five years and figure out that question of, of, you know, uh, what would have happened if I would have joined, you know, continued in law enforcement instead of going into social work. So uh, at the end of the five years, I was really ready to kind of get back into, you know, therapy, being a therapist and working with people in that sort of way. So I started working, um, I worked at a juvenile justice facility, which was connected, but different. Um, and so I was a family therapist at a juvenile justice, our state juvenile justice facility here in uh, Anchorage, uh, McLaughlin Youth Center, and worked there for um, several years, uh, about seven years. And while I was there, um, I went back, I went and actually uh, to a, re- a, a retreat, and that's where I met Lee, who's one of the co-founders of Veterans Pass. And uh, we started talking about, uh, you know, doing women-specific programming, and they had had uh, women-specific programming happening, or uh, people asking for that uh, through the, the program that they had started, which then was called Honoring the Path of a Warrior. And so we started we started talking and, and trying to figure out a way to do that. And um, so we decided to do a, women, a women's retreat. So that's kind of how uh, the retreat started. They were doing river trips already in one-day events, but um, we, that's when we started doing the, uh, the retreats for women vets at Tassajara. Zen Mountain Center down in uh, Carmel Valley. Yeah. So Carmel Valley, uh, close to Monterey. Is that where you're talking about? Yeah, that's where the, that's where Tassajara is. Oh yeah. yeah okay. So, uh, yeah. I went to school there in Monterey. I love oh, that. Cool. I love it there. It's beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. So you talk about, um, women's retreats there and women specifically, uh, could you touch on why we have women's only retreats because i think there's uh there's some confusion there or maybe some questions as to why we do women's only retreats sure yeah i think it's i think it's one of the things that um yeah that does come up frequently why do women have to have something separate or why is there you know because uh, because uh a lot of women experienced a lot of sexual harassment and sexual assault in the military um, I, it's a reality and it's one that we don't always like to talk about, but it's very much a reality just as far as the culture of the military and, you know, the, um, it, not all units, but it depends on what the commands are and, and how that works, uh, that, you know, it's, it's more comfortable for women to be with other women. But then we also have the whole thing of how a lot of times in the military, women are kind of pitted against each other too. Um, you know, in a way that's uh, not helpful and, and can actually be really harmful of, of because of sexism and things like that. You try to fit in in a way 
uh, with the men that um, includes kind of adopting some of that cultural piece yourself in how you deal with other women. Um, not always, but that's one of the things we hear a lot with the, uh, particularly I think from women in male dominated fields in the military, um, you know, and how that, how that plays out. And so every time we've had, I can't, every retreat we've done, uh, there's been at least one woman going, I, I didn't know I could be friends with other women vets. Um, and, and so that's, you know, uh, along with, you know, kind of, that's an important piece too, of healing, healing through having good connections with other women, but also being able to talk about our experiences in a way, um, that, you know, men don't experience the same thing. It's not that it's better or worse. It's just different. I mean, that's one of the things that's been so amazing to, uh, for me personally is, you know, my own healing process and also working with other women and who, you know, through these, through the anchor programs and, um, you know, the retreats and, and and meeting and being with, you know, their experiences too, in a way that's not trying to put it away or trying to, you know, compartmentalize it to really be able to, uh, you know, with support. Absolutely. It's not the, you know, you know, therapy and, and working with, I, you know, I've, I've also, you know, been to through therapy and worked with people, you know, worked with therapists and that's an absolutely important part of things as well. Um, and, you know, and also being, I think one of the things that's really helpful with the meditation and mindfulness practices is really being able to uh, very slowly and gently um, be able to just meet your own experience of it. And in a way that's kind of counter military of, you know, dig for it, cover, you know, try to find it, fix it, you know, that kind of way um, that isn't always helpful when it comes to, you know, uh, working with things that have been difficult that you've experienced. Now, talking about that, I see on your LinkedIn page, you also founded a nonprofit, Alaska Veterans Organization for Women. AVAL, is that, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, AVAL. Okay, c can you tell me about that? Yeah, well, I started that kind of simultaneously with starting the work with Veterans Path down at where I've been honoring the path of the warrior down in California. And so uh, I went down and started co-facilitating retreats with Lee uh, and Chris Fortin, uh, Lee Klinger-Lesser and Chris Fortin, who are the founders of, uh, of Veterans Path. Uh, co-founders. And then uh, Lee came up here and uh, we've facilitated retreats in Alaska as well for women uh, for several years. Um, and then that kind of uh, changed and morphed into something else. And I'm in the process of bringing that back to Alaska in some, in some format, but we're not sure what that's going to look like yet. So, um, but yeah, so that's how um, I, I was basically like, okay, well, it's great to do these down in California, but I want to do something in Alaska. And Lee's like, well, I guess you got to figure that out then. How are you going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's when I started a vow. And then from that, just learning, you know, um, cause I didn't know that many other women vets in Alaska. In fact, I didn't know any, you know, which is really strange too. Cause you know, it's, we have the highest per capita, um, percentage of women vets in the country. Really? I think we're tied with West. Now we're tied with Virginia. I think is, wow. as, yeah, is having the most women vets and men, uh, per capita and our per capita is small, sure, but, sure. um, but that's, yeah. And so just, um, connecting with other women vets and advocating, I'm actually um, doing a project up here, uh, through the university that, you know, where I work now, um, in doing a women veterans visibility project here. It's, uh, Operation Mary Louise. There's a, a woman vet, um, who she died several years ago at the age of 102. Wow. And uh, she was uh, one of the most amazing uh, women veterans. I, I had the opportunity to meet her before she, before she died. Uh, but uh, Mary Louise Rasmussen is her name. And uh, she was head of the Women's Army Corps for like eight years. And 
um, moved up here after uh, she retired as a colonel from the Army and um, didn't, didn't really kind of, uh, a lot of people don't know her story. So that's one of my goals, too, is to really um, have people understand in Alaska, you know, the amazing women vets that we do have up here, including Mary Louise. Well, it sounds like Avow is, is doing great work, and there's a lot of similarities between what Avow is doing and Veterans Path is doing. How many retreats have you helped to facilitate between what you do with Avow and what you do with Veterans Path? Oh, gosh. Uh, I counted one time not very long ago, and I want to say we've done, like, this next anchor program one in January will be number 28. Wow. Um, of re- of residential retreats that Lee and I have worked together on, uh, Chris has worked on some of those, but not all of them. But yeah, at least at least three day residential retreats that we've done. That's actually great. That was kind of one of the questions I wanted to make sure we covered was what the retreats look like, uh, what different types there are. So um, if you could explain what the the four month anchor program looks like. Yeah, and there's you know there's a cap on uh, the anchor program that kind of developed out of the five day initial retreats that we started doing, and then veterans started asking like, hey, I want more support around this. How can how can we get more support around developing a meditation mindfulness practice? So that's kind of why we developed the anchor program, to where we have a residential retreat, uh, five day, uh, and then uh, have online and also support from the facilitator doing calls. And then there's small group zoom calls with your small group from that initial, um, five day retreat. And then there's an ending retreat that kind of brings it back together. And so there's each week you get, um, practices that are sent to you through, um, through, uh, online platform called Schoology and there's videos and, things like that as well, and a way to, to write about what your experience is and also to connect with your facilitator in that sort of way, both uh, with writing and then a supportive call, um, a half-an-hour call at least four times during that anchor program, uh, the four-month time, and then coming together at the end. So, yeah, it's a really um, – veterans have really uh, talked about how important it's been for them in developing their practice, and so that's – that's kind of the basis of how it developed. And that's one of the things I love about Veterans Path is that it's been, you know, developed based on um, veterans' uh, requests and veterans have been a part of the development of it throughout the whole time, um, which isn't always the case with other things. So so that's what I was going to ask next is what is the best part for you for working on these retreats, be they the ones with Avow or the ones with Veterans Path? I, I mean, I think the working with other vets in this sort of way and being able to um, support them and developing a meditation and mindfulness practice in a way that, you know, I kind of, I talk about frequently, uh, you know, with, you know, we're trained in the military, but we're never trained out. And so I really, I really see these practices as a way for us to, um, you know, come back to what was, and some of the stuff that we learned in the military and we trained in was great. And it's still helpful. It's still really helpful. But then there's other things that we have uh, that we've developed from uh, either habits or training that may not be so helpful. And we, but because they're habits, we don't, we're not aware of them. And that's where I think meditation and mindfulness practice can really help us become aware of those patterns of things that, that aren't so helpful. And being able to, uh, when we're aware of that, we can start to work with that differently and, and do something different. Like, you know, being, you know, the way we are sometimes in military service, you have to be that way to do your job, but it doesn't always translate or work well with your family. (laughs) And and if we're not working with those things, as far as being able to 
um, being able to know when that's okay to do and when it's, when it's not, um, you know, and being able to know that we have choices in that versus this is the way it is. The military training is very clear. It's very black and white, right? Right. But life isn't so black and white outside of the military. Um, and, and so that's one of the things I think it's really helping people transition and, and find a way of being that works for them, uh, in, a, in, in however that is for them, um, you know, um, and supporting that and being able to support people. I mean, I think one of the things that's really interesting about like the anchor program too, um, in working with that is, you know, if it's one of the, I think it's, I don't know of any other programs where it was developed for women first and then went to men, <laughs> the men's program. So that's another kind of different thing that the women's program developed. And then the men are like, Hey, why aren't we getting this? It's like, you know, so, so then they started doing the, the men's anchor programs as well. So I think that's another, it's a difference. Um, but yeah, I think the best part um, is just being able to work with uh, my fellow veterans in a way that's different than the military, but still connected. Um, and and being able to um, share these practices that have been so helpful to me and um, you know it doesn't work for everybody either not it 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 doesn't and I think anytime somebody says that this is the this is the only way um, that you should run from that person <laughs> <laughs> because because there's lots of different pathways um, but for me this is and for some you know the people that we have worked with and people that are really because people self-select for this too you know people know what they're you know with the meditation and mindfulness practice because it's clear that that's what it is right um, you know that they're really interested in developing um, you know meditation and mindfulness more in their lives um, so we've been doing this since gosh, 2011. So, um, almost nine years. Um, well, right. So of, veterans of, path has been around since 2008. Yes. And, and then we've been working with you. 2010 since... is when we started developing. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. The, the retreats. And okay. then we had the first retreat in 2000, the spring of 2011, I think. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, just before we met at the change of command or the turnover of leadership for Veterans Path last month, uh -huh. uh, somebody had told me about this helmet of yours or this helmet liner of yours and how uh, much significance that had uh, for you and and then had, had a story to it. Um, could you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about that helmet, that helmet liner, and then what, what was done with it <laughs> um, and, and the significance of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, um, as you know, we talked about earlier, um, you know, part of what we were doing was uh, in, in the desert, we were um, doing a lot of transportation on the MSRs, the main supply routes of, of POWs and stuff. So we were going back and forth. And at times we'd have to clear bunkers along the side of the road and things like that. And um, I found I found this helmet liner and what was really uh, it, uh what was really distinctive about it for me was that um, it was, uh, I, I think, I still believe it, I've never really, you know, I don't want to say proved, but uh, it was one of our old helmet liners and it had been painted tan, um, I'm guessing from, you know, Iraq Iran um, time period and um, that they were still using. And it wasn't like I was taking that as like, quote unquote, you know, like a war trophy kind of thing, but it really, um, they just had a helmet liner. That's all they had. And 
And so for me, and there, it wasn't just that one, there was others laying around too, but that's, that was their helmets. And also the people that we detained and stuff, you know, they didn't, they didn't have equipment. They didn't have, they were just people that were told to fight um, or, you know, basically, or their families were threatened. And so that really, um, I was just, it was like, for me, it was a moment of humanity and everything that was happening. And so that helmet I carried around for um, 20, 20 some years um, it moved up here to Alaska with me in the back of my truck. Um, it was, you know, like, I, it was like, uh, I kept it in this Rubbermaid container with some other things. And whenever I started, you know, working with, um, you know, all the experiences that I, that I'd had in the military, one of the things that uh, came up for me was pulling, pulling that helmet out. And so I sat with that helmet in meditation um, and just kind of whatever came up, came up and really just kind of felt, felt through and felt with. Um, the different things that came up from, from working with that. Also, again, I want to just say that, you know, I also was working with a therapist at the time too. And, you know, everything that that helmet kind of represented for my military service. And, and so as a part of one of the retreats at Tassajara, one of the women vets had asked, and Tassajara is really strict about what they have as far as plants and that they're natural to there and this kind of thing, but they allowed us to plant a, a tree um, that one of the women vets brought in over the road and it's a 14 mile road. It was a big deal to bring this little tree over the road. Um, but at the end of the retreat, we planted that tree and, um, we also put in, um, the, all the Kleenexes and people from, from the retreat, um, that people would use. We, uh, people, if they had something that they wanted to leave, um, you know, as a, a memorial or anything like that in the roots of the tree as well. Uh, so what we did was we, uh, we put in the helmet was also a part of that. So the, the helmet is uh, planted with this tree at Tassajara uh, that's, that's been there since, gosh, I don't know which year that was that we did that, maybe 2012, 2013. I don't remember which year, but um, so, yeah, and it was really one of the kind of cool stories around it too, is that uh, there's a drought there the year after we planted that tree and a lot of, you know, with all the, the drought and everything happening, um, one of the gardeners there told, I think told Lee, uh, the next, the next summer that, um, they thought that that, that helmet probably held water because we buried it upside down, um, uh, held water for that tree to be able to make it through. Cause there's a bunch of other kind of, uh, plants and stuff around that that didn't make it because of the drought, but the tree made it. So that's, it's pretty cool. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I love that you took something kind of old from your past and, and then you buried it. And, mm -hmm. and, and that being done, um, bringing forth something new and alive, and then also the resilience uh, that you were able to build in yourself and those around you and how, how that is represented by that plant surviving the drought. I absolutely love that story. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, everybody else's things that were put in there as well, just, this, you know, that from that whole retreat of, you know, of healing and, and really being able to you know, transform our experiences, you know, they sure. never go away, but you can definitely, um, they can be different as far as how we, how we work with them. Oh yeah, absolutely. Could, um, could you describe your practice and what that looks like? Well, I, I have done a training. I've done a couple different trainings. Part of it is because this was kind of like learning a foreign language to me in some ways, you know, from my military and law enforcement oh, background. Yeah, definitely. I'll be honest with you. When I first started this stuff, I was like, this is woo woo crazy stuff. I mean, <laughs> me you too. know, like, me too. you know, yeah, it's like, what the heck is this? Oh yeah. I'm going to sit with something. What's that going to do? <laughs> you know, um, 
<laughs> but fortunately, um, you know, through having a, a really good teacher, um, you know, really being able to, uh, so I've done a couple different practices. I've done, I, I, I study a practice called sensory awareness and that's with Lee, right. who's one of the, again, the co-founders of a veteran's path. And then, um, I, my focus of my uh, doctorate was mindfulness-based interventions with women vets. And so, um, I do a practice. I, through that, um, through my PsyD program, I also incorporated, um, mindfulness-based stress reduction training. It's also referred to as MBSR sometimes. Right. And so that's sure. a, basically like an eight week class, um, that was founded by John Kabat-Zinn, um, and, uh, works with people on developing a meditation and mindfulness practice. And so that's one of the, I did a, uh, did that training over three years, over a three year period to really embody the practices, not mm -hmm. just, you know, to do it, to do it, um, but to really work with the practices in a way that were, um, that helped me, um, be able to really understand and learn a different language. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it was interesting because like a couple of things that came up, like I was at a, I was at a retreat with all these, a lot of people that, and now I'm seeing more veterans there, but when I started doing this, there weren't very many veterans doing this. Yeah. And so it was, uh, you know, like they would say something like attention, you know, bringing attention and my whole body would stiffen. It's like, yeah, oh yeah, attention and how that limbs and, you know, right. <laughs> and so, you know, being able to work with that, uh, in a way, you know, and so a lot of the words that were used and things like that had a totally different meaning. Sure. Um, for me coming from the military than for people that were doing these practices on a, you know, that had been doing these. So my practice was really, um, I, I sit in meditation at least 30 minutes a day. Um, nice. is my practice right now. I try to do a little bit more than that. Um, and then I also do um, Qigong or mindful yoga um, as part of that practice too. And that's, that's kind of, and, and also I've, I'm in a leaders group for sensory awareness as well. So uh, I also did a, a great program to just kind of, again, there's not many things in Alaska because of where we are, we're pretty isolated to be able to go to a lot of things um, that are in this vein. And so I did a, a program called, it was a two-year program that the certification and, and teacher training uh, program through the Engaged Mindfulness Institute oh, right. in Massachusetts. Yep. Um, and so that's another, that's another training that I did around um, meditation and mindfulness practice. So, and even with my background as a therapist, depending on your program, this is not specifically focused on either meditation or mindfulness or, or, or somatic practice. There's not a lot of it included in our training. So that's one of the things that, um, I'm really trying to do um, also within the social work program at University of Alaska is really bring in these thematic practices to um, to the students so they can understand that there's different ways of, of you know, accessing and working with, um, you know, therapy and, and um, practices. So if uh, you had to tell someone um, how to start their own practice, how would you tell them to go about starting that practice? Yeah, I think there's so many materials and I think it um, depends on where you live. There's so many. I mean, for me, what was really helpful is being around other people that are doing practices. Um, and so, you know, doing um, finding a sitting group, maybe um, I would say start slow. Don't jump right in and think you're going to want to sit for 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You know, if you can sit, if you can start out, you can sit for one. That's awesome. Right. One minute. Gotta start um, somewhere. And, you know, and then kind of, you know, add a little bit more time, uh, but really finding, um, finding a community and finding other people that are doing these practices. There's a lot of things online for that as well. 
Um, but really finding something that works for you and not, not comparing yourself to other people um, or what you think you should be doing, but, you know, really uh, finding a teacher is a really important thing too. Um, someone who has been practicing for a long time and can um, kind of help guide you in, you know, starting a practice in a way that's going to be helpful because I know if I would have tried to start sitting um, right away without having, um, you know, time with meditation, with other uh, mindfulness practices that included movement, I don't know that it would have gone so well. Um, so really being able to take the time to, um, you know, explore what works for you and starting there because um, there's no one way. Um, it's, it's based on what's going to be, you know, helpful for you and, and getting support. I think that's really, uh, you know, and that comes through community. It can come through, you know, a therapist that's, um, that's uh, involved in meditation mindfulness practices or, or, you know, does that through their own practice, um, depending on, you know, why, why you're wanting to do practice. Um, but, you know, just being able to start a practice is, um, it's, it's, <laughs> we always say it's simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> Because it's, you know, sitting's pretty simple when you think about it, right? It's pretty simple to sit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, not, it's easy. not easy. Right, right. Not yeah. easy. So you talk about that support yeah. system. So if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, how would they go about getting in touch with you? Well, there'd be a couple ways. Um, my, my cell number is, pr is public because of the work I do up here in Alaska, too. So uh, my number is 907-306-2367. And then also... You can email me at v m e a d e seven um, at alaska.edu. So vmead at alaska.edu. So vmead at alaska.edu. So okay, Vanessa, this has been great. Uh, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day oh, no. to be on the show. I know your story will resonate with our listeners, and I hope that it helps to bring others to a path towards a sense of peace and, and meaning for themselves. So thank you again. It's been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really great to talk with you and look forward to talking with you further. Absolutely. Absolutely. For our listeners, thank you for listening to the show. Please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. We too are on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and Twitter. And remember, listeners, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Thank you all and have a blessed day. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives.